0: Find your way to Luke chapter 15. I want to say, um, I had, hadn't been able, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Sheila was covered up by our vacation Bible school decorations, and I, I hadn't had an opportunity to say, but Sheila, we are so grateful that you were able to be back with us. <laughs> and we are grateful to Rhonda for being able to fill in for Sheila during that time. Rhonda still, Rhonda may went down. But it, it's wonderful to be a part of a church where we are able to uh, have talent and, uh, and to be able to, to have people to lead us in, in worship. So thank you all for what you do. Uh, if you found your way to Luke chapter 15, if you're physically able this morning, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? I'm going to read verses 11 through 24 this morning. <clears throat> it's a parable of the prodigal son one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. These are Jesus' words, and he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every passage and every scripture. Thank you for the one that you provided for us here this morning to look at the father. Uh, in our home and the forgiveness of a father and how we relate that to God our father And father we thank you for all these things in Jesus name amen this is uh unusual for us this weekend normally we are gone father's day weekend and we we are That's normally the weekend that we go on vacation for uh, different reasons this year we decided not to do that so Normally, I am sitting somewhere listening to the ocean roar and watching the waves crash and thinking about the majesty of God, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that there are other people who are able to do that this morning. Amen? So this, to today, our plans are, I know it's going to be uh, th- later on this evening, after all the activities that we have here, later on this evening, it's going to be, I know it's going to be peaceful and quiet because Bryson has to work. And I know that it's going to be, uh, I know that Grayson has promised me, I was looking for a gift this morning, I didn't see one. Grayson has promised he's going to cook this afternoon after everything is, is finished and, and he's going he's to cook and when Bryson comes home we're going to have a meal. And somewhere later on there'll be a nap, is that right? Alright, so I'm, y'all saw the guarantee there. So um, it is wonderful to be able to be here and to speak about the Father. uh, on this Father's Day. And this father here is one of the most significant fathers in all of the Bible. And he is an ideal father, an ideal earthly father to study this morning. Now, he's the father of two sons, and both of his sons are prodigals. The younger was prodigal because he chose the pleasure of sin. The older is prodigal. We didn't read the scriptures on down through verse number 32, but the older is a prodigal because he chose the pride of himself. Now because the father was what he was, the prodigal is able to become what he should be. The younger in returning to the father and the older in the decision to accept the brother. Um, now this, uh, we look this morning and first of all we look at um, this father and he was a father that the son could come to. The son could go to this father. The text seems to give us some family history here. It appears that the mother is not here. The mother has passed away from what we gather here in the Scriptures. And we we see that the father here is raising two sons. And they are of age. They're pretty much grown. And we also see from what the Scriptures tell us that the father is a man of great wealth. The father has, we see the the mention of the servants that he has. We see the mention of the property that he has to divide between the two sons. And so we gather from that that he's a wealthy man. Now, the youngest son has dreams. The youngest son has these great dreams of going away. Maybe he's heard about this far country and he wants to know what it's like. His father has a lot of hired servants, and these hired servants probably go away and do business in other cities, and they have come back with these fantastic tales and stories about life in the big city, the bright lights in the big big city, and he's overheard all these stories that they've told, and he now is there, and he's stuck on the farm, and he now, compared to all these stories that he heard, the farm begins to look very, very boring and mundane. Any of you ever had that desire when you were younger and you just wanted to get away from it all and you wanted to leave and you wanted uh, you wanted to get as far away from Old Piedmont or Spring Garden as you possibly could? You had this dream of going to the big city and, and being something else and something different. How many of you have ever known those people who, who've gone off and, and been there and they come back at some point because, but this was this was better than what they than what they realized when they left. I, I've I've known a lot of people that, that that way. You see, a lot of times they're what um, we hear that old we hear that old saying that the grass is greener on the other side. A lot of times the grass is greenest over the septic tank. <laughs> Understand that, and that's what this young man is about to find out. The grass is greener over there. But it's because it's over a septic tank. And it's because it's a vile and ugly uh, place. And he's going he's to go and find that out. Now, we look at this story, and we see that the young man obviously has a relationship with his father where he knows that he can go directly to his father and have a conversation with him. And he, he real, we, we, we realize that, but he, he's kind of bold here and what he does in going and asking his father, what he ask him? Now, some may have slipped off in the night and just ran away. He was, he was of the age where he could go and, and he could probably find his way to the city. But if he just slipped off in the night and ran away, what would he be running away without? He'd be running away without his father's wealth. And so he doesn't do that. Now, some might have asked another to intercede for him. He could have easily asked his older brother hey, will you go and talk to the Father for me? Or one of the, one of the uh, other hired servants there who may have been in a close relationship with the Father, he, may have, he could have easily asked one of them to go and intercede for him. But this son feels free to come right to the Father. He goes and he begins with these word, Father. And then we see the selfishness of what he says. Give me the share of the property that is coming to me. He's thinking about himself and himself only. Now, we've, as we've looked at this from different ways, we, we know that uh, we've, we've talked about this before. By asking for his inheritance at this point, he's basically saying to his father this, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so that I could have what's coming to me. And because you're not dead, I'm going to break your heart and I'm going to ask you for what it is that I feel is coming to me and what I feel is, is, is mine, and so he does. Now, we can feel free to go to our Heavenly Father. We know that we can go to him just as we are. I can't go around him. I can't go around God if I have a request. I can't run away from him. I can't run away in the night and, and go anywhere else. I, no one can go for me. I can't ask anyone else to go to the Father for me and take my place. I, as we were sitting here at Bible school a couple of weeks ago, and we were about to share with the children who had said that they had uh, wanted to know about how to become a Christian. Martha and I were sitting right there, and she told me a story about when she was a young girl, and she was questioning and wanted to become a Christian. And her older brother said to her, Martha, you have to do it yourself. None of us can do it for you. And because of that, it stirred something in Martha's heart. The Holy Spirit began to work with her. And she went to the Father herself and became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't go around him. No one can go for me. But isn't it wonderful to know this morning that I can go straight to the Father. I can go straight to God. I have direct access to him because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And we see now that the young man gets his possessions and he goes to the far country. And the Bible says that he began to squander his property in reckless living. Maybe your uh, version of the Bible says righteous living. But in no matter what it was, he went and he lived in a way that his father had not taught him to live. He went and he lived in a way that went against everything that he had learned at home. And because of this, he spent everything that he had. One writer said this of the prodigal, In the far country. He said he dreamed of great tasks but found great temptation. He dreamed of adventure but instead found agony. He dreamed of prestige but instead found poverty. He dreamed of romance but instead found rage. He dreamed of happiness but instead found himself feeding the hogs. He could go to his father though. Even there when he was in the pig pen. He could go to his father. There was no place where this boy could go where he did not know that his father still loved him. There was a moment where he came to himself and he said, You know what, I'm going to get back, I'm going to arise, and I'm going to go to my father. Even though he was this young, as we suppose this young Jewish boy, was in the last place that a Jewish person would ever want to find themselves in a hog trough feeding hogs, and desiring to eat with those hogs, even though uh, he looked like he looked and smelled like he smelled, he knew that his father still loved him. And he had this great aha moment. And he said, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go to my father. We were doing a mission project one year in, the Na- in Nassau, Bahama. And we were building, we were helping with the construction of a house. And there was a pastor there who met with us a couple of times through the week. And on the last day that we were there, he wanted us to stop and to look at what we had accomplished there that week. And he wanted us to look at what we had, how we had continued the building of this structure. And what he told us was to look at the house that was next door where the fa- this family of Haitian refugees was living. And they were living in as, uh, I've never seen conditions worse than what they were living in. They had an outdoor kitchen where animals just roamed freely through. They had orange electrical cords running from everywhere you could possibly run them from. And their house was just open and it was hot. And they were living in the most abject poverty that I had ever seen. And he looked. He told us to look at where they were. And he told us to look at where they were going to move. And he said these words to me that I'll never forget. He said, Your condition is not your conclusion. Your condition is not your conclusion. God can take you from anywhere where you are, in any situation that you're in, and He can heal you, forgive you of your sins, and He can take you to a better place through a life with Jesus Christ. Our condition does not have to be our conclusion. We can leave the world behind, the sin that we are in, the way that this boy was in, living in the uh, in the pig pen, and we can know that we can come to Jesus, and our conclusion can be better. So we see that he knew that he could go to his father, and now we see that the son, see, he saw his father's home as heaven. All of a sudden, that place that looks so bad looks real good. He says, He says these words, I have sinned against heaven. He says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now think about this. This It's interesting. When he thought about heaven, he thought about his father. And when he thought of his father, he thought about heaven. All of a sudden, his perspective changed. His, His father's home now seems like heaven. I remember reading, uh, a lot of us have, a lot of the world has a, uh, a misplaced uh, idea about heaven. I can remember when I was a kid reading Huck Finn, and Huck Finn saying that he and Tom Sawyer, somebody had talked to them about heaven, and they told him that when you get to heaven, you get a white robe and a harp, and you sit around and you play a harp, and you sit on clouds, and Huck just decided, that ain't for me. I don't want to go to heaven. Well, this young boy. This young man, he decides that now that he's got out in the far country and he's seen what's really there and he knows what's really uh, there, his perspective changed. Now, all of a sudden, the farm looks great. The farm looks like heaven to him. His father's home looks like uh, the most wonderful place in the world. I can remember being lost and being out in sin and being just as far away from God as, as a, as I possibly could be. And I can remember there in the beginning it seemed like a wonderful place to be. I was in charge, I was in control, I had my destiny in my own hands and and I thought this is the life that everybody ought to live. And then there were these moments. These moments where I realized and I began to look at I began to look at my life. And I began to look at the darkness and the deep sin that I was in. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me and began to compel me and to begin to show me that what the, uh, what the, uh, the life that seemed so boring and so mundane was really the best life I could be living. That to be in the hand of God and to be secure in His hand was much better than how I was living. And you want to know what I found out since then? It had not been boring and mundane at all. It's been one great adventure. Being a child of God and being, knowing that I am in the hand of God, I, it has been the greatest adventure that I could ever have, have thought about being on. It has been a wonderful journey. It may not have always been smooth and easy, but I have known that at the end of this destination is my father's house, and I'm going to be there with him. This young man couldn't be reminded of God without remembering his father. His When he thought about his father... He, he, uh, he automatically began to know about God. We look at our society, and we look and we see all the problems and all the, the heartache and all the things that go on in our world. We look at all of, the, all of society's ills. And, I, and if you sit and you think about it and you look at it and you examine it, you can go back and you can look at there was a point in, in our society and in our culture where the father left the home, where the father was no lo, no longer a part of the home, where the father began to be absent from the home. A- and you want to know, really, in in our, in our the world that we live in, especially in the nation that we live in, it has been encouraged for the father not to be there. We've made it easy for the father not to be in the home and for the father just to... to forsake his responsibilities. And and because of that, we look and we see see generations, the past couple of generations who basically, um, for a a lot of them, they've had to raise themselves without the guidance of a father in the home. Some of you who are in education, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You see it all the time, and you know uh, uh, about it. And you, you understand what I'm talking about. It, it has become God's, I, I've, I've done two weddings this weekend, one Friday evening and one Saturday yesterday, and I stressed in both of these, I stressed to the couples and I stressed as much as I could that God's design for this world, God's design for, for the world that we live in was for one man and one woman to be together in one relationship for their lifetime. And for that man to be the head of the household and for him to be the example to his children and to his wife. And we have gotten so far away from that in our society and we have gotten so so removed from that that we don't even know what that looks like anymore. And we, don't e- we can't even tell what it, what it is anymore. We, we, even as Southern Baptists, we find it hard now to teach biblical masculinity to our children because we're told by society, we keep hearing from society that, that that's, not the, that's not the way that it ought to be. That's not how it should be. But the Bible has a, a plan and a design there, and, and, and we should teach our children what a man really should be and what a man's responsibilities are according to Scripture. And and we we should not be afraid to do that and not be ashamed to do it because it's God's design and God's order. Now, this young man had this going for him. His father was a man who walked with God, and he was able to see that in everything about his father. His father had a great impression on him, and his son could not escape it. And when he was there in the depths of his sin and in his poverty... He remembered that his father walked with integrity and his father walked with character. And he remembered that his father had a relationship with God the Father. And all of a sudden, these things began to become real to him. He remembered a father who was in prayer. He remembered a father who was in devotion. He remembered a father who had a reverent walk with God. I'm so grateful this morning that I had examples in my life of men who modeled God in front of me I'm so grateful this morning that in my life in my home I constantly saw my dad with a with scriptures open in front of him my dad's been teaching Sunday school for over 40 years he was 76 years old yesterday he's been teaching Sunday school since I was about four or five years old he was my first Sunday school teacher and in my life I have watched him over and over. My dad, I can promise you this, this afternoon, my dad will look at next week's Sunday school lesson and he'll read the scripture and he'll spend the rest of the week, this week, he'll spend at least an hour every day probably reading those scriptures and preparing to teach his Sunday school class. And he's a good Sunday school teacher. Amen? <laughs> Thank you, Kay. But I had that example growing up and it wasn't something foreign to me. I I had a grandfather, my my mother's dad. And my grandfather, I saw him in two positions in life uh, uh, when I was a young man, when I was young. My grandfather was either working physically with his hands or he had scripture in his hands studying and preparing for a sermon. So when I became a Christian, it was so easy for me to know what it was I was supposed to do. I was supposed to be learning about God and how to be more Christ-like. I was supposed to be picking up my scripture and learning and growing and reading and studying. It became, uh, they were my examples, and so it, it was just automatic for me to know to do that. This young man's father was a godly man, and he couldn't get away from that. And then we see that this father had great compassion. The father met the son where he was. It says in the scripture here that he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. When he saw that boy down the road, he immediately, he could have waited where he was and he could have let the boy walk to him and he could have waited there. And when the boy got there, this father had every right to say to this son, you abandoned us, you went to the far country, you took what was yours, you took your possessions, you're no longer welcome here, you need to leave. That might have been the attitude of a lot of people, but this father had a walk with God, and when he saw that boy coming toward him, he immediately leapt, he he ran from where he was, and he ran out and the scriptures tell us that he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He had great affection for his son, and he was no less of a man for having that affection. We need to teach biblical masculinity, and we need to teach the God's order for the home. But we also need to realize that as men, we need to show affection to our children. And we need to let our children know that, they, that, that we love them. There is not a day goes by, there's probably not a conversation goes by it with my sons where I don't tell them that I love them. When, we, when we're on the telephone together, they tell me that I don't say bye, that I just hang up. Uh, Some of you have complained about that too. Um, But I do tell them, they know when I say I love you, that's time to get off the phone. So when I I tell them there's not a day goes by that they don't hear me say the words I love you. I want them to know that. That doesn't make me any less of a man to show affection. I want them to know, I want them to know no matter what. And boy, there's been some times when I could have choked them And I've had to tell them in those moments, I've had to tell them, I love you. I've had to stop and say, I love you. You know why? Because God loves me that way. Because there's not been a moment since I came into a relationship with him, there's not been one moment, there's not been one second where God didn't love me and where God didn't affirm our relationship through the love he has with me. If you're here and you're a father or a grandfather or or you're responsible for children, They may not be your blood relation, but you let those children know every day that you love them. Coach Smith told us in Sunday school this morning what it is, what it's like to have two sons and then to have a daughter behind them. And he thought he told us, he said, "I didn't think I could love anybody more than what I uh, did these two boys." He said, "Along comes this girl, and it just changes everything." He said, "I don't love her anymore, but you know, there it's something about a father and a." And a daughter. Some of you know that relationship. And Coach told us, he said, I, my boys think that she never gets in trouble, she never does any wrong, and she never gets punished for anything. I had two boys, and I have spoiled them but worse than you could spoil two kids. I don't know what it would have been like if I had girls. They would have just been rotten. But I, I say all that to say this. Affirm every day. Let your children know that you love them. Express your love. Tell them you love them and show them you love them as often as you can. This father had a look of love about him. He had been looking for this son. From the story we understand and we realize that he spent time every day looking down the road and longing to see his son walk down the road and come to him. He didn't didn't wait on him. He ran to meet him. Charles Spurgeon said this, The father was out of breath, but he was not out of love. And I want to say this to you here this morning. This father never gave up. This father went every day and waited for that son. And I want to tell you this. That son or that daughter who is wayward, that son or that that grandchild or that niece or that nephew or whoever it is in your family that you worry about, don't ever give up on them. Don't ever stop praying for them. Don't ever concede that they are hopeless. You keep praying every day. You keep loving them every day. You keep showing them the love of God. Don't give up on them. Never stop praying. Because this father didn't. And he's our example. Here's what was important to that father. It was important that this son was returning. (coughs) The fact that he had been away made no difference to the father. The time away made no difference. The fact that his son came home and he smelled like a hog lot made no difference to him the rags that he were were wearing made no difference not even the empty pockets that he had and the fact that he had squandered everything that his father had gave him none of that mattered all that mattered was that his son was home and we see this when he says to his servants he says but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Jesus Christ himself described our salvation this way. He said when we come to the Father and and we repent of our sins and we become a child of God, he said there is a great celebration that goes on in heaven. He said there's great rejoicing over that one who has returned to the Father. And this Father is a great example of that. And we should remember that there was a point in time when we came to Jesus and and the Father accepted us through through Christ the Son and He was glad and there was great celebrating that went on in heaven over us. God loves us that way. The Father assured them, he said the Father assures him of his forgiveness when he says, bring him the best robe. Put on a, a ring on his finger. Put shoes back on his feet. Clean him up and put on the, the best that he has. And that says to me that no matter what my failures are, no matter what I, no matter uh, where they have moved me, I've never been moved away from his love. And that as as believers and followers of Jesus, we should take this example and we should take the problems of this world and the problems that come at us and and especially the problems that may come to us through our families and we should take them as God the Father takes them. And this father here in this story of the prodigal and this forgiving father shows us exactly how we should handle those situations. And the greatest thing that I know this morning is there was that long stretch in my life where I was away from God. And I was a prodigal. But there was a forgiving father. There was a forgiving father who was looking for me. I wasn't, I'll be, I wasn't looking for God. He was looking for me. And he came and he found me right where I was. He picked me up out of the pig pen. He picked me up out of that place where I was. And he didn't say to me, wait right here and you clean up and you get this situation fixed in your life and you get this right in your life and you do this and, and, and then I'll accept you. He took me and he cleaned me himself. He washed my sins away. And he made me to be able to stand righteous before him. Through the blood of Christ. And I wanted to assure you this morning. That he still does this every single day. Every moment of the day. God is waiting to rescue someone who's gone astray. And someone who's living away from him. And I want to assure you this morning. If that fits you. If that's who you are. God is waiting on you. God is searching for you. And God is is has a desire to have a relationship with you. He wants to take you and cleanse you and make you new. Darren is coming this morning to lead us in a time of invitation, a time of worship. And as we are here, I want you to, to just honestly look at your life, say, Where am I? Am I living in the Father's house? Am I am I taking am I there with the Father? Or have I drifted out to the pig pen? Has has the devil made this world look so appealing to me that I've drifted out and that's where I am? I want to assure you that God has a place for you in his home. And that he is there to welcome you with open arms and with great affection. Stand as we pray. Father, I pray this morning and I ask you to speak to our hearts and our souls. And God, show us where we may be away from you. Father, if there is anyone here who needs to begin a relationship with Jesus today, I pray that this would be the moment when they decide to do so. (coughs) If there is one here this morning or any this morning who need to know how, Father, I'll gladly meet them here and take Scripture and show them how they can know that they have eternal life. Father, I pray this morning, and I ask that you help give people the confidence that they need in their relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that uh, if there are any here this morning who needed to declare to us that they want to follow through in baptism, church membership, no matter what it is. Maybe they just want to come and pray over some situation or something that they have in their life. Whatever it is, God, may we be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.